we started a sermon series on uh, things we don't talk about in the church. And, you know, there is so much that I could deal with. My goodness, you know, there's a lot of stuff we don't talk about in the church. Uh, we talk about the same stuff all the time. And uh, so when I'm preparing for the sermon series, uh, there is so much that I could deal with. But my objective tonight is for you to learn the Word of God and you to walk in the Word of God. And so how many would open your ears and hearts to learn the Word tonight? Hey, say amen. All right, so let's go to the Word of God tonight. And we're going to deal with the subject that um, I think is vital for us to deal with. And uh, we're going to deal with a topic called A Quest for Equality in America. The Quest for Equality in America. That's a mouthful. Everybody shout that with me. Everybody say A Quest for Equality in America. That's what we're going to deal with tonight. And if there is a topic that it seems to be prevalent in our society, it's probably this topic. How many would agree with that? This is a topic that it seems as though the church either uh, ignores or we make excuses for not dealing with it or we uh, don't deal with it properly. Now, I'm going to say tonight it's impossible for me to deal with this all tonight, so I'm going to do the rest of it next Sunday night. I, I just can't. There's so much to it, I can't do it. So. I'm just going to touch some basic things tonight and uh, so next Sunday night that we can deal with it. Now, this is what I want you to see as your pastor. You may know some of this stuff that I'm talking about. And if you do, then I'm asking you to be better equipped that you can have the answer to help somebody else. Amen? And so, uh, so you can give a reason for the hope that lies within you. And so as you open your heart that you can have the answers for those who don't have the answers. Now, Pastor Josh don't have all the answers. I've went to school, but schooling doesn't give you all the answers. It just helps you make up your mind what you believe. <laughs> you know, and so you, 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 I don't have all the answers. But I just want to take a stab at this tonight, and we can deal with it next uh, week as well. Somebody once said that we are drowning in information while we're starving for wisdom. There is information all around us, but we are starving for godly biblical wisdom. We're living in a generation where the bread is missing in the pulpit. We have donuts in the church pews and, and lack of bread in the pulpit. My job and responsibility is not to provide you another donut. My responsibility is to give you fresh bread. I think I've had enough donuts in Christianity. I want fresh bread. Jesus said that you would not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, which is the bread of God, the bread of life. And so as we go to the bread of life, I want to feed you tonight so that you could have answers even to answer for our society today. We are drowning in information, but ladies and gentlemen, we're starving for wisdom. There is a quest for equality in America. And um, as we look at this tonight, what do I mean by that? Well, there's a cry in America especially for people to be equal in their status, to be equal in their rights, and to be equal in opportunities. People want to be equal on all levels. Status, rights, and opportunities. There are gender equality rights. There's transgender equality rights. 
Nowadays, we are even confused about what kind of gender we want to be. We've got to be tolerant of that because they want equality. There is um, income equality. There's male and female equality. There's marriage equality. And the list goes on and on. And some of this has, uh, some of it's valid. Certainly, it's some of it's valid. But let's look at what the Bible says about equality tonight. Now, what I want to do tonight is I want you to understand two things. As a preacher, I have to speak with the voice of a prophet, but I have to have a heart of a shepherd. And that's tricky. It's tricky to speak as a voice of a prophet and at the same time have a heart of a shepherd. In other words, I've got to speak truth and at the same time have mercy. That's what a shepherd is. A shepherd has mercy. They're loving and they're compassionate. They, they bring nourishment to the flock. But at the same time, I've got to be a prophetic voice to the community of faith and speak the word of God and to speak truth. Now, my nature, my nature, I'm a I'm a dominant person, obviously. Uh, I'm dominant. I like to get things done. I'm aggressive. But at the same time, I'm, I, I don't like to ruffle people's feathers if I don't have to be. It's because I'm a pastor, so I like to love people. But sometimes you have to um, love people in directing them in the right direction concerning the word of God. Is that right? And I think that's, that's good. Mercy and truth. Don't let mercy and truth forsake you. And so this is what we are in, especially in America. We are in the fight for equality. We have people making statements like this. Who are you to tell me what I need to believe? We have people tell, saying statements like, you are not going to tell me who I can love and who I can't love or who I want to marry. If I want to marry my boyfriend, then I'll marry my boyfriend. If I want to marry my girlfriend and I'm a girl... I can marry my girlfriend. You're not going to tell me who I can marry, what I can marry, when I marry. I'm going to do what I want to do. Who are you to tell me what I am to believe? Who gives you the authority to do so? America is fighting for equal rights, equal responsibilities, equal opportunities. And yes, it is a fight. It's a vicious fight at that. And I certainly do believe that, especially in America, we need to have rights. Uh, you know, according to our Constitution, but I don't know if any group of people needs to have extra rights. And that's when it gets tricky. There are certain groups that want extra rights and think they're entitled to have extra rights. And that's a whole other sermon there. But equality is now off the charts. Even in our political arena, it's off the charts. In our society, it's off the charts. And even in religion, it's off the charts. Equality. Judges chapter 17, verse 6. Uh, the scripture is clear in Judges 17, verse 6, that there is a, was a dilemma happening even in the children of Israel. And this is what happens. If you pay very close attention, the Bible says in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's exactly what's happening in America. Everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes and so therefore they demand equality and it's interesting, if you look at other translations, it, you could see that there is no voice, there is no king, there is no voice in the community. And when there is no voice, or when there is no prophetic voice speaking in the community, everyone will do what's right in their own eyes. There was no king, there's no leadership, so therefore everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, when we are missing a prophetic voice going forth, then we will do what's right in our own eyes. We need Holy Ghost-filled, fire-baptized preachers 
who would declare, thus says the Lord, we need a prophetic voice in our communities. We don't need another self-help sermon. We don't need somebody to come along and pat us on the back. We are living in perilous times and we need a prophetic voice that will speak truth of God's word into our lives and into our community. And as you read the story in the book of Judges 17, these people did what was right in their own eyes. And guess what happened? As a result of them doing what's right in their own eyes, the society went downhill because everybody wanted their own rights. Everybody wanted to do what's right in their own eyes. That's exactly what's happening now. I need to ask you a question. What, what, is, what is the problem? Why is there such a cry for equality? I believe that there's a cry for equality is because people want worth, people want value, and people want identity. That's the problem. It, that's the core of what is crying in America. People want some sense of worth. People want some sense of identity. They want some sense of value in their life. How many would raise your hand and agree with Pastor Josh that that is instinctive in all of us? We want to feel worthy. We want to feel like we are valuable. We want to feel like we are important. There is nothing wrong with that. That's, that, that is what's going on in our society. People want worth. People want value. And people want identity. But the problem is in America is that people are finding their identity in their income they're finding their identity and value and worth in their jobs and their, their gender or their, their gender they're not. They're finding their identity and value or they think that their identity or their value is found in these things and they're running after that. The root problem of all of this, ladies and gentlemen, is a sin problem. Because of sin, we are all broken. We are broken individuals. And sin not only affected humanity, but sin has affected the whole world. And because of that, we are broken. And we shouldn't be surprised of the brokenness and the hurt of people. It's because of what has happened, because of sin. It has affected everything that we've done. And people are searching to, feel, feel, to be fulfilled. They, they're searching, and they think that their identity or their value and their worth is found in their sexual orientation. They think that their value and worth and identity is found in their income or marriage equality. They're looking for something to fill that void. Now you and I know that the only person, the only person that could fill that void is Jesus Christ and Him alone. No one could fill that void for you. And I think that we give mental assent to that, but yet at the same time, I don't know whether we really believe that or not. We get wrapped up in relationships that become detrimental to our health because we're seeking our value and our worth and our identity even in the approval of other people. That's exactly what happened to Leah in the book of Genesis. You know the story of Leah and Jacob. Jacob never loved Leah. Jacob loved Rachel. But you know the story. Jacob ended up with Leah. And the Bible says that Leah kept having children because she felt unloved by Jacob. Because that is what insecurity will do to you. Insecurity will cause you to keep producing and producing and producing even when people are not paying attention to you. And you will become exhausted and trying to get their approval and getting their love. And you will come to the end of yourself. Because your identity, worth and value is not even found in the approval and the acceptance of other people. It's great to have godly relationships, and you should. You should cultivate godly relationships, but godly relationships 
are not the, the, they're not the solution to the problem. We should cultivate relationships. We should have those things. But Jesus is the only person. And how, what do we mean by that? What do we mean that Jesus is the only person that could solve the, the deepest problem of the human heart? What do we mean by that? That has become such a cliche. And some of this is worked out in sanctification when we learn to walk and we learn to participate in spiritual disciplines. It is a work of the Holy Spirit that doesn't just happen overnight. It is a process of the Holy Spirit molding you and making you and shaping you and making your heart after his heart. And that doesn't happen overnight. And lots of people will jump ship because they don't see the progress that they think they should see. You've got to be patient with the Holy Spirit. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to work on people and to work on you. I would remember one of the uh, suicide articles. Uh, I lost a friend to suicide several years ago. It really played mental mind games on me because I've lost an uncle to suicide and lost very family members to uh, meth and black heroin. I, you know, just crazy stuff. And it used to really bother me about their eternal salvation. And so... Uh, I found out that when people commit suicide, uh, there are usually three barriers that they have to press through. Number one, the reason that people take their own life is because they don't feel like they are worthy or valuable. They don't feel like they're valuable. They're worthless, number one. Number two, they feel all alone. And number three, they're not afraid to die. And when somebody has come to a place in their life where they don't feel valuable and worthy... And number two, they feel alone. And number three, they're not afraid to die. They will commit suicide. And that is why it's important as Christians that we understand that our value and our worth, it is in Christ alone, but it's also filtered through a community of believers. It's important that we stay connected to the church and stay connected to a healthy body that can foster a relationship with Jesus Christ, that can help you. You are not called to do this thing alone. You're not called to be on an island by yourself. You are called to be a part of the body. You cannot say yes to the head and no to his body. Jesus is the head and you're the body. You can't say yes to his head, his headship and no to his body. You can't do that, ladies and gentlemen. So the, the issue of equality is really wrapped up in this idea that people want to feel worthy. They want to feel valuable. They want to have some sense of identity. They want to feel important to someone. They want to feel important to a community. There is a longing in people's heart to feel connected and loved and accepted. And they'll fall for homosexual relationships because they feel connected to a same sex. Because they want to feel worthy. They want to feel valuable. They want to feel like they're important to somebody. That is the issue, ladies and gentlemen, that we're struggling with. And that's what the enemy does. The enemy, the enemy is trying his very hardest to, to, to take our identity and our worth and our value and take it and we run after things to think that we can fill our void in that. And that's exactly what's happened. That's why people are crying to the loudest. Their heart is broke. They want to feel accepted. They want to feel loved. And, and they want to feel like they identify with someone or they have some sort of identity. There is what I call, listen to Pastor Josh, this is what I call it, this is the search for significance. People are searching for significance. And no matter how spiritual we seem to be tonight, or how big your Bible is, or how Pentecostal proud you may be, every one of you tonight want to feel like you are valuable to someone. 
and you want to feel like you are, are, you are significant. You want to feel like that you contribute not only to this church, but you contribute to your marriage. You contribute to society. That's the cry in the heart of every person in this building. Can I hear a big amen tonight? There's a cry for that. And if we don't understand the significance of that, and we don't understand how to channel that and where to find that, it's very easy that things can become taken to the extreme, and it's very easy that we too can fall in the same trap as some other people. It's the search for significance. The search of longing to be, to feel important. Yes, our culture, even America, has fostered this. You listen to graduation speeches, and we give graduation speeches and we tell those graduates they could do anything in their, they want to be, they're, 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 they're destined for greatness and, and you could change the world. And there is an element of truth to that. That every one of us is destined for greatness, but if you don't know how to take little steps, how are you going to be destined for greatness? How are you going to be destined for greatness if we don't know how to take care of the little things? You know, there's a responsibility that we have to play in the part of greatness. Can I hear an amen? Jesus is not against us wanting to be great, because he never rebuked the mother who brought her two sons to Jesus, and they wanted to be great. They wanted to sit on his right and his left. Jesus never rebuked the request. He said, it's just not left up to me who I give the cup. You know, it's not left up to me who sits beside of me in my kingdom. Jesus' response is this, can you drink the same cup that I drink? Are you willing to take the responsibility? If you want to be great, are you willing to take that responsibility? He told Abraham, look up. Your descendants is going to be as great as as the stars of the heavens. There was nothing wrong with being great. But you've got to take the responsibility, Abraham. You've got to be obedient and do the things I tell you to do. There is a responsibility for us to play. So there's an element of truth that, you know, you could be great, but yet there's a responsibility that you and I have to play in this. You see... Paul said that we are living in the day and age in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter number 4. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to what he says. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Our morality is really found in our doctrine. The way we perceive ourselves, the way we look at ourselves, the way we look at the scriptures, the way we conduct our life and our behavior, our morals and values is really found in a set, it's found in a set belief system. Your behavior, your ambitions, your relationships, all of that is fostered out of a worldview. What kind of worldview you have? Do you have a worldview that represents the world, our society, or do you have a worldview that is biblical? Because your theology will determine your behavior. That is why it's important that we learn. The reason it's important that you learn is because when you got saved, your spirit is saved, but your mind ain't saved. Your mind still thinks things it shouldn't think. Your mind, is still, your, your mind is still carnal. That's why it's important to study the scriptures. Be involved in a small group. Come to class. You've got to change the way you're thinking. It's interesting that I find it's interesting that people think that they can absent themselves and not be a part of a study group or a worship group or church. And if you're not intentionally growing yourself and changing the way you think, you're going to be start thinking like the world. And you're going to have ideas like the world and perceptions like the world. Your spirit is saved, but your mind is not saved. How many agrees with Pastor Josh? Your mind ain't saved. Come on, come on, say, man, my mind ain't saved. 
I got, I got to struggle with that mind. The problem is between my ears. <laughs> Somebody say amen. The problem is between my ears. That's where the problem is. You see, your behavior is fostered out of your worldview. It, it comes out of your worldview. How you view yourself is dependent on your worldview. And our worldview as Christians is the Word of God. It's the Scriptures. It's a biblical worldview. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says that something is going to happen in the last days. And I want you to listen to me. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 1, he says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly or urgently that in the latter times or in the last days, some will depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines or teachings of devils or demons. Ladies and gentlemen, this is happening right before our eyes. And the very first thing that's going to happen, according to verse number 2, there's going to be lies and hypocrisy. Isn't that interesting? Because that's what the devil does. The devil is accuser of the brethren. He's a liar. And so we're living in a generation where, where there is false doctrine is on the rise. False religion is on the rise. Now, why am I saying this? What does this have to do with equality? Well, guess what? The reason why people are following cults and false religions is because they find their worth and identity and value in those things. The reason that cults and false religions, would you agree, Pastor David, is because they are excellent in making you feel like you are a part of a group. They are excellent in making you feel like you're a world changer. Boy, you, you come and follow us and you, you can do a mission for two years. And, and if you do this mission for two years, then you're going to get, you know, and I'm just playing around. You're going to get 70 virgins, you know, <laughs> if you do, <laughs> if you do a mission for two years, then you're going to have your own planet and get to have celestial sex for all the endless ages of eternity like the Mormons teach. So they give you something to die for. They give you something to work for. You feel like you're a part of something. They're finding their worth and identity. They, 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 they're finding their equality in what they believe. And the Apostle Paul says this is exactly what's going to happen, that the Spirit is urgently, can you hear the Spirit tonight? Urgently. The Spirit is pounding at the door of our heart, saying, listen, the Spirit is urgently expressing to us, verse number one, look at it, that some will depart from the faith. They're going to leave. Because they're going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The only thing the enemy can do to you is deceive you. It's the only thing he can do. He can deceive you. And people who are deceived don't know they're deceived. So it's important that we walk in the Spirit and have the spirit of discernment and follow according to the principles and precepts of the Word of God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that the same writer here is telling his son in the faith. His spiritual son in the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 3. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 3. He said, For the time will come when they will not endorse sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Isn't that what's happening? Own desires, equality. This is what I want. This is how I feel. This is my desire. I have a right to it. According to their own desires, because they have itching ears, and they will heap upon themselves teachers. That's exactly what's happening, Pastor David. I don't like that preacher. I don't, I don't, you know, I, who are you to tell me how to believe? I'm going to go find somebody to tell me what I want to believe. And they'll turn their ears away from the truth and they'll be a turn aside to fables or lies. Exactly what's happening, ladies and gentlemen. But he says in verse number five, the Paul, the apostle says, but you, 
Speaking of Timothy, but you, you be watchful in all things. You endure afflictions. You do the work of the evangelist and fulfill the work of the ministry. Hallelujah. What are you saying, Pastor Josh? I am saying, ladies and gentlemen, that what kind of worldview do you have? Your worldview is constructed by a set of belief system. What kind of values and belief system do you adhere to? Because your values and your belief system will dictate how you live your life. And if that is not solid in your life, you're going to easily run away to things that fulfill your desires. And you're not going to have a concrete foundation in the Word of God. Is anybody listening to Pastor Josh? Concrete. Valuable. Word of God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse number 7. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 7. Look at, listen to those words that he says here. He says, verse number 3. You know, go to verse number 1, I'm sorry. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. He says, in the last days, perilous times or troubling, uh, troubled times will come. For men will be lovers of them own selves. That's exactly what's happening. Men are lovers of themselves, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And the Bible says in verse number 3, they don't have self-control. They're unforgiving. They don't have self-control. If this doesn't picture the society that you and I are living in, I don't know what Scripture pictures it. Living in a society where people have absolutely no control. To even suggest to our young people that they should not have sex before marriage is almost like a blasphemous word to them. They can't even imagine. I was reading an article from a Christian magazine and they were polling the 18 to 28 year olds asking about sexual behavior. Most of them have had sex between the ages of 12 and 14 years of age and they're already actively looking at porn on their phone because parents don't have any protective right on their phones, and so most of them are addicted to porn, and so they, without self-control, so for them to even imagine not to have sex before marriage is ludicrous. Without self-control, despisers of good. And then the Bible says, verse 7, this is the kicker. This is the kicker, verse number 7 of the same chapter. He says, they're always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Yes, we got more seminaries, we got more colleges, we got more universities, but we got more people that's lacking in wisdom than I've ever seen in all the days of my life. We got more people with degrees behind their names, doctor so-and-so and rev and clergy and whatever, and I'm not against degrees, I have them. But we got more people with degrees and yet we're lacking more wisdom. We're smarter, but we're not wiser. We're going faster than we've ever been, but we're ending up nowhere. We have the ability to conquer space and put a man on the moon, but yet we don't can't we can't even conquer our own carnal habits. We got donuts in the you know, we got donuts in the pulpit instead of bread. We have become so confused when there is no prophetic voice being spoken then people will do what's right in their own eyes. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying it's very important that when you are dealing with your worth and your value and your identity, it's very important that you have a solid biblical worldview because your solid biblical worldview will dictate how you think, how you behave, and how you should conduct your life. 
one of the hardest hottest topics, especially now, is and there's equal there's many different uh, things I could deal with with equality, but the hottest topic is marriage equality. Marriage equality. The question is, is who are you to tell me that if I want to love so and so, who are you to tell me I can't marry them? Marriage equality. Marriage equality. You know, a few years ago, the Supreme Court of the United States, I think the, the vote was five to four, made a, a decision for the American people that gay marriage was legal in America. And so, as you know, that evening, the, the White House put the color of the rainbow on the White House and they celebrated the equality of marriage, marriage equality. Now, this is not something new, so let us not just gasp for, for air and as if this has taken God by surprise and if, oh my goodness, this is the worst thing. Do you know that the Emperor Nero, around the year 62 to 64, he was the emperor of Rome, and he was a wicked emperor. They said that he burned some of the city of Rome down, blamed it on the Christians. He threw the Christians to lion's den, burned them upside down, to cut their heads off. He was a wicked man. He even had his mother killed when he came to the throne, had some of his brothers killed. He was a wicked man. He had his wife eventually killed, but history tells us that Emperor Nero performed the first same-sex marriage in Rome. He married his bondservant. And so uh, history records in some of Josephus' writings that it was a grand celebration when the Emperor Nero married his bondservant and was the first one of the first homosexual marriages in Rome. Rome was considered very, very vicious in their persecution of Christians, and not only in their persecution of Christians, but also their lifestyle. Now, why? Because Rome had a belief system. Rome had a belief system. It was paganism, mythology, the worship of many gods. Their belief system dictated how they behaved. So therefore, Rome had bathhouses. Homosexuality was a common practice. In one of the writings of Josephus, he quoted that men were for pleasure and women were just for having babies. This is the mindset of the Roman people. We think like, boy, this is something that you know, has just come upon us. But no, Rome was very wicked and vile because of their belief system. Mythology. The worship of other gods. So their belief system dictated their behavior. Dictated what they did. Did you know that in the city of Rome, that bathhouses, they were, above, they were actually very good in the infrastructure of their city. They had running water. They had paved roads. I mean, they were actually very brilliant. But uh, they prized themselves on uh, sexual liberation. And yes, even children was used in their sexual acts. That is why in Romans chapter number 1, the Apostle Paul says, listen, it's unnatural for a man to lie with a woman. The Greek word there is soft, which implies children. It's unnatural for, for men to lay with children, Romans chapter 1. Because he's writing to Romans, Romans chapter 1, he's dealing with the issue that this is wrong and this should not be. So, I am saying this, that I, we can argue the point of marriage equality, and we can argue all these points, but as a Christian, our worldview should be biblical, 
And that is where we take our decisions from. Now let me say this and let me say it loud and clear. For homosexuality, we love everyone. We love the gay and the straight. We love them all. As a matter of fact, Jesus stretched out his arms and he died for the world. The gospel is to everyone. The gospel is for the gay and the straight. And no matter what color you are, the gospel is for everyone. It's all the gospel to the whole world. And there's a difference between welcoming and affirming. Homosexuals are welcome to come to Christ Point Church, but they are not affirmed in their lifestyle. Does that make sense? So we, we welcome you. We will love you. We will pray with you, but we will not affirm you in your lifestyle. You won't hold any leadership positions. You cannot hold any leadership positions if you are a homosexual. Now, we love you. We care for you. We pray for you. Now, this is a hard topic because I've had people get mad at me. You don't know my brother's homosexual, my sister's homosexual, and blah, blah, blah. I am saying as a pastor, we love everybody, and we want people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We want people to be in full communion to Jesus. We, we, we welcome everybody to come to church, but that doesn't mean we affirm people's lifestyles. And that doesn't mean that you're, we're going to be nasty. It doesn't mean that we're going to be rude. It doesn't mean that we're going to treat you like you're a lower class. You are a human being that has a heart, that has feelings, and we're going to love you, and we're going to love you to the gospel. So we don't have to be, we don't have to be rude. We don't have to be mean. We're not going to be the church that take out signs, and we're going to picket the porn place and tell everybody they're going to hell. That's not how you win people. You win people by your lifestyle. How many would agree with Pastor Josh that we welcome people but we don't affirm their lifestyle? Come on. And I think that's a good stand. So as Christ Point Church, we believe as a church and as an institution that homosexuality is incompatible to Scripture. It is a sin. It is an abomination. But there is hope. Hallelujah. I said there's hope and there's forgiveness and there's reconciliation. Amen. There's reconciliation and there's hope. Now, we also understand that people have deep-seated issues. And maybe some of those issues happened when they were a child. We understand that. And I am not as a pastor even equipped to deal with some of those issues that people deal with. And that is why I suggest that we have Holy Ghost field counselors and I could direct you to those people that will help you navigate through some of the issues that maybe you had as a child. You're not responsible for that. that didn't, you didn't cause that. And sometimes people are hurt and people are broken and they don't know how to navigate through their own issues. And that is why we as a church has to be sensitive because people have issues that you don't know of and things have happened that we've got to be sensitive and that we've got to walk with people and navigate through people. Sometimes it's just not easy to lay hands on people and just say, you just believe Jesus, let's cast it out of you. I've done that for years. I've prayed for people and prayed for people and they still struggle. And they're still coming to me, Pastor, I'm struggling. Because we got to realize as a church that I'm going to walk with you hand in hand. I love you. I'm going to share the gospel with you. I believe that the Lord wants you to change. 
but I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be patient with you. I'm not going to beat you over the head, but I'm going to be somebody that can walk with you through this and navigate it with you. And sometimes we're just not equipped to do that. Amen? And so, marriage equality, we believe as a church, we believe that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Thank for the ten people that said amen. I hopefully you agree with the pastor that marriage is only between one man and one woman. Let, let me back that up. Rewind. Marriage is between one natural born man and natural born woman. <laughs> Got to make sure I put that in there, all right? Because you know it's scary to date nowadays. I got a list of questions to ask if you date me. Are you a natural born woman? <laughs> Do you have anything? <laughs> nowadays you just got to ask these questions, all right? You know, the purpose, and I can't deal with everything tonight, and I'm going to close here in just a few moments. But as a church, even though, listen, as a church, even though I just gave you the spiel that we welcome people, we don't affirm their lifestyle. We believe that homosexuality is incompatible to Scripture. We believe it is a sin. As a matter of fact, the Scripture calls it an abomination. But we also believe that there is hope, forgiveness, and reconciliation. And the church needs to be the bomb of Gilead to help people. So we realize that. But we also realize we live in a society that is promoting this agenda and promoting marriage equality. You know, the pur- what is the purpose of government? Have you ever thought about it? Well, the purpose of government is, number one, to protect our national identity. To protect us and to protect our rights. Number two, it's to represent us. The government is to represent us. It's to represent the interest of our nation, to protect us and to safeguard us. When we do bilateral uh, training, uh, trade agreements and treaties and negotiate with other countries, it's to represent us and to protect us and safeguard us our policies and our procedures and our constitution. It's also to the infrastructure. It's to build roads and bridges and drinking water and electricity. It's also our government is for our social welfare. It's to provide education and health care for families that's underprivileged. It's also to promote the general common good of society. And according to Romans chapter 13, that's exactly what the government is sent to do, is to promote the common good of our society. And so the question is, is that people seem to think that the common good of our society is marriage equality. That marriage equality, our government is doing something that's promoting the common good of our society. So since that's the role of government, or one of the roles of government, is to promote the common good of society, then we need to have marriage equality. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, as a church, our worldview is found in the Bible. And if we're not careful, we can get stuck in this dilemma. Your worldview is either three things. Your worldview is either in, what do I think about it? Well, I think it's okay. Your worldview is out, so let's have a conversation and let's fight it out. Let's negotiate this thing. 
and let's come into agreement, or our worldview is found in God and the Scriptures. It's only three things. Your worldview is either found in you. This is what I think. You can't tell me what to believe and how to conduct my life. This is what I think. In, or it's found out. Let's both of us talk about it and come to an agreement that we both agree on. Or, it's found in the Word of God as a Christian. Now, in our society, obviously, you have a lot of this marriage equality birthed out of this is what I think. This is what I desire. This is what feels good to me. And our Supreme Court negotiated about it. There's been a wrestling over it. But as Christians, our worldview is not found in what we think. Our worldview is not even found in having a healthy discussion over things. Debating morality. Our worldview is found in Scripture. And that's the issue. As a church, our worldview is Scripture. Not inward, not outward, but Scripture. See, i got two minutes left. i got six minutes left, actually. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, the Scripture was clear that the law says that you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female, for this is an abomination. Leviticus 18.22. Leviticus 18.22 states very clearly that a male, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman, for it's an abomination. A male should not lie with a male, for it is an abomination. The word lay there or lie there is actually lays there is actually the Hebrew word which means intercourse. So you shall not have intercourse with a man like you do with a woman, for it is an abomination to God. That's exactly what it means. Now, the theory is, is that the Episcopal Church, the Presbyterian Church, and some of the Methodist churches getting ready to split over this issue. Because their issue is this. Well, this is found in the Old Testament intertwined with other laws that we do not keep. And I agree. Most of you probably eat shrimp. Well, I don't like shrimp. But, you know, most of you like shrimp. I don't like beef, but you all probably like beef, right? Right? Everybody say, I love chicken. I'm just joking. <laughs> so, so, here is this issue of, okay, they say, well, they'll say, but but this scripture is intertwined with all of these other scriptures in Leviticus, like laws on animals, feed an animal certain types of food, or the, the cleansing of a leper, or regulations of priestly clothing, or clothing like certain fibers cannot be mixed, or so many days that you have to go to a refuge city, or how you are to conduct business with the poor, how to feed the poor. All of this is just intertwined in this homosexuality scripture. And so they'll say, well, we don't follow any of the other scriptures. We eat pork, we eat shrimp. Uh, all of us wear different 
fabrics on our clothing. Now, that doesn't apply any longer, so why should this apply? And at first glance, it makes a lot of sense, but you've got to look at the context of the Scripture. Can somebody say, context is everything? Context is everything. Because there is a difference in certain laws of the Old Testament. Number one, there is what we call the moral law. Somebody say moral law. Then there is the ceremonial law. And then there is the civil law. So everybody shout this with me. The moral law. The ceremonial law. And the civil law. The moral law comes from the nature of God. The Ten Commandments is one of them. Some of the, the, the sexual laws are the moral laws of God. It reveals the nature of God. The ceremonial laws is the sacrifices and regulations and the dietary laws that the people of God had to follow. We no longer follow them because we are not the nation of Israel. We are the church of Jesus Christ, so we are no longer held to the ceremonial laws of the nation of Israel. We're not held to them. And then there are the civil laws or the national laws. There are the specific laws that were given to the nation of Israel as a nation. We're not the nation of Israel, so we don't follow them. And it's ironic that if you look at the context, all the laws that deal with shrimp and beef and fabric and all those certain clothing, all of those are the ceremonial laws given to God's people, and it was never given to anybody else outside of God's people. It was given to the Jewish people. However... The Bible is very clear that the sexual laws were the moral laws of God. Everybody say the moral laws of God. And the moral laws of God represent or comes from God's nature. Everybody say nature. God's nature. God's nature. He says, get this, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse number 1, this is, he is saying that you need to speak to these people. Verse number 1 and the Lord spoke to Moses, Leviticus 19, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, Ye shall be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Now, he also said that in Leviticus chapter 18, that you're to be holy. He is mentioning, the holy, he is mentioning his holiness when he deals with the moral laws. He says, This is what you need to do, because I am holy and I am God. But when he mentions the ceremonial laws, he never made that mention. All he said was, these are the laws that I'm giving you because you're my people and you're not those people over there. It's interesting to me that all these sexual laws, the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 1, he says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am your God. He says, say to them, I am your God. And verse number 2, 3, he says, according to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwell, you should not do. Hold on. This is the same chapter that deals with homosexuality. And God is saying to Moses, tell my people, don't participate in the same sexual acts that they learned in the land of Egypt. So what's the, what, what's the issue? Homosexuality was predating the children of Israel. They knew about it in the land of Egypt. And God says, listen, I'm holy. And you are not even to participate in the same things that you did or your ancestors did while you were in Egypt. So, the moral law of God, we are held to. It is not done away with. 
The ceremonial laws are done away with. The restrictions of food or clothing, it's done away with. Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial laws. The civil laws. You're not the children of Israel. You're not the nation of Israel. Those laws don't apply to you. But when it comes to the moral laws of God, we are held to it from generation to generation because Jesus even echoed echoed the principle that you should leave and cleave to your wife, making reference to marriage. And Genesis chapter 2 When God made man and made woman, He brought them together. And what was His response to these people? He said to the woman, Your desire shall be for your husband. This predated the law of Moses. This is what we call the law of first mention. That He created man and woman and gave desires for each of them. Now, the question is, is people will say, well, that may be true, but what do you do when somebody says, how can it be wrong if I was born this way? Well, ladies and gentlemen, there is no scientific proof that there is a gay gene. Not yet. They'll say, well, that's my sexual orientation. No, no. Your orientation is sinful. And that's every one of us is sinful. And because of the sinful nature, because of the sinful nature, you have the capacity to commit any of those sins. Is is that a biblical worldview? Because of the sin nature that is... that has polluted humanity and corrupted humanity, because of that, our orientation is sinful. And because it is sinful, you have the capacity to commit any type of sin, no matter what it could be. What what do you do if somebody says, well, my orientation is to murder? You let him murder? Or my orientation is to sleep with little children. So you mean to tell me anybody can just come along and say that my orientation is this way? My orientation is to rape women? Where? How does that make sense? The issue is, is that you have a sinful nature. And that nature has the ability to commit any sin, no matter what it could be. But the gospel, the worldview that we have according to Scripture is that Jesus gives us a new nature. A new nature. And that means that you've got to crucify the flesh. You say, well, pastor, I know so and so, and they love Jesus, but they're wrestling with homosexuality, they're wrestling with drugs, they're wrestling with all these issues. Well, it could be a process of sanctification and it could be what we call self-control. You know, we forget that fruit of the Spirit that says if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to control your sexual desires. Have we forgot about that? 
that maybe we've got to control our sexual urges and pick up our cross and follow Him. Maybe it has to be a thorn in the flesh where you prayed like Paul, deliver me, but he said my grace is sufficient. You see, I'm going to say this. Get this. Following Jesus, and this is what this is what that crowd point our fingers to us and say, you're intolerant. Listen, folks, I'm just believing what the book says. They'll say, you're being intolerant. But just like I preached this morning, following Jesus means that I am obedient to His teachings even though I don't like it. But pastor, I, I, I love him or I love her or I can't control how I feel. Following Jesus means total obedience. That's, that's what it comes down to. It doesn't matter whether you're struggling or not. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, I need total allegiance. That doesn't mean you don't struggle. It doesn't mean it's, there's not a fight within you. That means I love Jesus so much that I put my urges and my desires under the cross and I follow Him. That's what it means. It doesn't mean we're being unsympathetic. It doesn't mean we don't love people. It just means that Jesus, His way, means total obedience. That doesn't mean you don't hurt. That doesn't mean you don't struggle. That doesn't even mean we can't. We're going to be sympathetic with you. We're going to help you. We're, we're going to love you through it. We're going to speak life to you. But our worldview is total obedience and total surrender. It's, it's, it's like you've got to go to the cross. You've got to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thy will be done. It's like that guy that we had for the come and see. Who I, I forget his name, David. Steve. He was a former homosexual and a transvestite. I think he told Dave. He's just... You know, I, does he still struggle with it? So therefore, how do you answer that question? Well, he's struggling with it. But Je following Jesus means... Total surrender. No matter what he's struggling with, I love Jesus, and I just got to be obedient to his word. Struggle does not mean that you don't love Jesus. Struggle doesn't mean that you're not saved. Struggle doesn't mean that he doesn't care for you. Struggle, I think, means you're saved. Because the Spirit is warring against the flesh. And the flesh is warring against the Spirit. But you've come to a place in your life that no matter what the struggle is, I'm going to be obedient to the teachings of the Word. Can I, can I hear an amen? That's what it means. And what we have done as a church, we have beat people over the head so much that they don't feel like they can come and be honest and open and vulnerable because we have put people under the chair and made them feel like that their sin is the worst sin ever. Folks, we can't do that. We cannot make people feel like their sin is the worst sin. 
you wouldn't even believe the stuff that I heard teaching Bible college of the struggle that people have. We've got to learn to be compassionate and loving and open our arms up to people and love them even in their struggle. Jesus loves the gay and He loves the straight. And our job is to be a beacon of light and hold our arms out and love people. But love them with the Gospel. Not beat them over the head, but love them with the Gospel. How many would agree with Pastor Josh? I said, how many would agree with Pastor Josh? Now why did I deal with this tonight? Because every one of you knows somebody that's either struggling with it, that's married, they have questions. You're going to deal with it. That's our society. You're going to deal with it. You can't get away from it. No matter how, how bad you want to get away from it, you just can't get away from it. You're going to have to deal with it. Next week we're going to deal with some other things about equality. I don't want you to miss next Sunday night. Did you enjoy the Word of God tonight? <laughs>